AG1 is a comprehensive and convenient blend of over 70 high quality ingredients. And what that means is each morning when I wake up, before I do anything else, I drink AG1 to set me up for the day. It keeps me clear headed, full of energy and focused on whatever I need to do, like writing the fighting cock, for example. One scoop once a day before breakfast and that's it. I've actually found that I've not been needing coffee in the morning to get me started. I've still been drinking coffee because I love coffee, but it's not because it's like a necessity to do so. AG1 is made out of the highest quality ingredients subject to the strictest manufacturing standards. AG1 is NSF certified for sport and this process involves exhaustive testing and verification that every serving of AG1 is exactly what you see on the label. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs for your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com forward slash the fighting cock. That's drinkag1.com forward slash the fighting cock to get started and to help the podcast. Thank you very much. Have a great day and enjoy the show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners' or renters' coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. GEICO asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, GEICO can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners' or renters' coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. GEICO asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, GEICO can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners' or renters' coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. 
Simply go to Geico.com or contact your local agent today. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. When I clock out of the hospital at 6 p.m., I'm not done for the night. That's when Gamer Nurse 40 clocks in, and she's got orcs to slay. Sure, I'm playing a 13-year-old in Scranton, but he's a level 53 mage with a filthy mouth. So I need to stay on top of my game. What'd you call me? That's when I crack open a Heineken Zero Zero. Zero alcohol, but just as refreshing. So I can focus on stealing his gold before his mom tells him it's bedtime. Take that, kids. Heineken Zero Zero. 0.0% alcohol. Now you can. Must be 21 plus to purchase. Enjoy responsibly. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners' or renters' coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and Geico is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to Geico.com or contact your local agent today. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners' or renters' coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. It's the fighting. It's the fighting. Clock! It's the fighting. It's the fighting. Hello and welcome to episode 14, season 11 of the Fighting Cop podcast. Got a very special one today because I'm joined on the line by Alistair Gold. How are you doing, mate? I'm all good. Thank you very much for having me on. Nice pleasure. The uh, the uh, uh, the transfer window's over, so I guess you can breathe a sigh of relief. <laughs> Just a bit. Just a bit. Although I don't think I would have expected all those months ago when it opened that it would be Cameron Bloody Carter Vickers at midnight. Um, that would be the one that would have me kind of working out what the hell was happening with his deal. Um, I, maybe, with no disrespect to Cameron at all, I'd kind of hope maybe it would be something a little bit more exciting. But yeah. uh, the Celtic fans enjoyed it anyway. Um, it, see, it's a weird one with him because he kind of come back into the four. He seems to have a little sort of stint in pre-season every year. And then uh, just disappears off on loan to I, I don't even know. He must be in his 24, 25 now. Is it, how old is he? 23. 23, yeah. He's, oh, it feels uh, like he's been around for eight, forever. I know. He's a bit like he's like Spurs' one version of the Chelsea loan system. <laughs> They've yes. only really done it with him. It's like, you know, we'll get loan fees. We'll shove him out there. We'll make a bit of money. He gets to learn. And kind of once a what once every preseason, he'll come back and play a couple of games. Um, but they just don't seem to do that with any other player. Very odd. Yeah. No, no, very very strange, very strange. Before we get into it, first we want to apologise for using the image uh, that I found on Twitter. It's the only one uh, on Google. It's the only one that was sort of big enough to stick up. So it was, it was at a previous holiday or something, yeah? Yeah, it was a holiday with my wife. We just popped to Barcelona for a couple of days. Um, and it was really weird because 
she was very good. She let me go and see the, the Camp Nou and all of that. And, you know, I'd kind of made a bit of a fuss. Oh, I'd love to see it. It's a stadium I've never seen. And then Spurs obviously yeah. went and played there and I ended up going there anyway. So I'd put her out on a day of an hour holiday when we really didn't need to. <laughs> are, you, are you a Spurs fan? I am, I am, yeah. My dad very much gave me... I had very little choice. Um, I was born at Whips Cross, so not too far from Spurs as well. Not um, all. I was, born for, I was born in Whips Cross as well. There you go. I think Harry Kane was as well. I'm pretty sure someone told me he was as well. So esteemed company, we're all in, uh, depending on what your current <laughs> views are on Harry Kane. Um, well, <laughs> we can yeah. talk about that. Yeah, Actually, look, um, just before before we get into it, so I'm just going to list off the stuff you do. And if you don't know who Alistair Gold is and you're a Spurs fan and you're on Twitter, then that, it's almost impossible. You've become, you know, such a massive, sort of not even just a Twitter account, but also, you know, the work you do with Football London, which I guess is your bread and butter. That's your job, isn't it? It's yeah, to reporting yeah. reporting on Spurs. You've got the Golden Guest Talk Tottenham podcast. You've yeah. got your Alistair Gold YouTube channel. Like yeah. I say, one of the busiest Twitter feeds on, which is, you know, reporting in itself, and you're married. So, <laughs> what? I mean, is your wife absolutely sick to the back teeth of Tottenham? Do you know what? She's she's very good. She's fantastic, to be honest. She really is good. She gets it. She understands that I'm very, very fortunate that, you know, if I'd gone back and asked my eight-year-old self, what would you like to do as a job? You know, it would either be play for Spurs or it would be doing something that involves Spurs every single day of my life, pretty much. And, yeah. I, you know, I never lose sight of that. I'm very fortunate to do what I do, and she appreciates that. And, yeah, if it means, you know, there's going to be some long days and stuff like that, and and, uh, and the family, yeah, no, they all get it. They all get it. Does it feel like work, Alistair? Does it feel like you're, you're, you're working? Uh, it did on deadline day. It was at an eight AM shift till about one AM. I finished. Uh, that was that felt like work, um, but no, no. Let's be honest. You know, I cannot complain in any way, shape, or form. You know, we see some mm. of the jobs people out there have to do and all of that. I'm I'm just a guy who writes about the football team. I've always supported as a kid. It's I'm very very lucky. Have you found that it's um, it's impacted how you follow Tottenham because you're you're. As much as as a fan as you are, as you, you know, as you've just explained, mm. it's different reporting on it, and it's different. We suppose to Dan Kilpatrick a fair bit, and obviously my business is now Tottenham as well, and it does affect. It's not just simply about going to a game and and enjoying it. How have you found that that process of reporting on your club and it being your? It is you know, despite not feeling like one a job, but it, you know, yeah. it's a different process, isn't it? It's hugely different. It is. I'd, I'd be lying if I didn't say it sucks a lot of the emotion out of it. I'd have to. Mm. I have to be fair and say that you get to see behind the curtain, you know, and you kind of realise the way things are done, the slightly darker side of football, I guess, the un, the grubby stuff that you don't maybe mm. think about as a fan, the way stuff's done, the way people speak to each other. Um, that's not to say I don't still you know love moments you know obviously i'll always talk about the night in amsterdam it was just incredible and that that even as a journalist it was very that's probably that and the white heart lane finale are probably the two moments i've struggled the most to kind of keep being utterly professional um especially in amsterdam with the bloody ajax fans throwing beer down upon us as well which didn't help because they were all so pissed off but, where, where, uh, on that night, where was you? Yeah. Did you play? Was you in, in the press box? Yeah, yeah, in the press box. Yeah, which which was situated right underneath a big bank of Ajax fans behind us, and they were just got so so many laptops that night got 
ruined and drenched. Mm. Mine had about five buttons on it stopped working, including the letter S, which for Spurs is really, <laughs> really useful. It's um, a pain in the ass. It is, it is. But yeah, no, I'm totally not... In, in Sadly, in some ways, definitely not the Spurs fan I was in, you know, just purely enjoying it. Or even maybe the good side is it goes the other way as well. I probably don't despair like I used to as well because I kind of maybe have slightly more context. I kind of see what's going on a little bit more, perhaps. But mm. uh, yeah, definitely not the same. But yeah, the, 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 those peaks, even despair is really important as a football fan, isn't it? When you're following, yeah. like you need those you need those pits of despair and to, to have this kind of dizzying heights. And it is, it does, when you realise that you're going to have to produce so much work and content out of results or news that's coming out of the football club, I can fully appreciate what you're saying. Um, and you're so close to the football club because you, you probably hear things that you don't even report. Is that true? Do you hear things that are hearsay? How much, how do you decide what goes onto your feed and what goes into the articles on football.london? To be honest, I was very fortunate that when I was kind of started off, I did um, news journalism. I did that for about four or five years. So I was doing about crime stuff, council stuff, everything you can possibly think of. It's a very good grounding. And I think you learn quite quickly on that what what you should write about, what you shouldn't write about, what things there's just no need for people to know because it's, you know, obviously you can go into areas that are really dodgy for people as well and, and, and stuff like that. And and it also teaches you, obviously, to also always double up on everything. Always get confirmation from two sources on everything. So, yes, there's plenty of things that you hear in this job that you maybe only get from one source. And I I'd never personally would ever go with that because I think it's too ropey uh, to do that. Um, I always have this motto, which I've said far too much. It's not a motto. It sounds like it's some kind of slogan or something. But I always want to be right rather than first. That's always my thing. Um, yeah. And you know, I just yeah. I was gonna so, I was gonna ask yeah. Alistair because that now in this day and age, it's bit, being first it seems is is the most important thing. Certainly on Twitter, where it's so quick and you know you, a lot of ad revenue is based on hits and and clicks, and it feels like more so than ever that the actual truth isn't as important as how quickly you can get the news in inverted commas out. And I remember I did journalism at uni as well, so I can I remember the. I remember the process of how important backing up your sources are and, and having a second source and how and, and trusting that and, and actually developing relationships with these people. Um, but it, it seems less and less relevant these days, especially because a lot of these sites are blog sites where they don't have to really, they're not responsible to shareholders or the reputation of their publication. They're simply a blogger, which isn't to say that they're not gifted at what they do, but they don't have the responsibility that you have. So I guess um, it must be quite frustrating sometimes when you have something that you think this will blow up, this will be good, but you just you, you sit on it because, like you say, you don't have the two sources. Yeah, hundred percent. Honestly, there's there's you know, like you say, there's definitely there's loads of stuff that we can't say. There's things that you know may come from a player's agent, but they've asked, can you leave this part out of it? There could be you know, let's say it's injury related. There could be medical sides to things as well. There's there's so many aspects to it. Um, and yeah, yeah, there's been plenty of times where it works against you. You know, there can be times when I've known of something but haven't reported on it until I've got a second confirmation on it and other people have gone with it and it's been right. And even when you get a second confirmation, that's not always to say that the thing ends up actually happening. Something can, that's the weird thing about what we do. Something can be true in the moment but doesn't arise. You know, obviously the big best in, uh, example is transfers itself. You know, yeah. Spurs, let's say, for example, can 
have talks over a player. They can be incredibly interested in the player. Doesn't mean that player comes through the door, you know, whatever, a month, two months later. And my God, the manager search. The manager search is the best example of how you can be absolutely right about something, but Spurs somehow find a way to make it not happen. <laughs> what uh, Are you talking about Conte in the summer? Everything. Everything. Conte, Fonseca. <laughs> um, um, oh God, his name's gone out of my head. Gattuso, you yep. know, all three of those were really getting somewhere, and then absolute U-turns on all of them. Um, there was even Poch, Poch as well over the summer. Uh, yeah, we no, had a question about Poch while you yeah. mentioned it, so I remember I've forgotten who answered it, but we've had like hundreds of questions sent in, so yeah. forgive me. But um, yeah, well, how close as, as as far as you understand, how close was Pochettino to returning? Poch wanted to come. Poch wanted to come. He had a bit of a crap family situation going on that his wife and um, his youngest, Maurizio, obviously playing for Watford. They were stuck over here during lockdown. He was on his own, well, with Sebastiano, his oldest, and his coaching staff living in a hotel in Paris. It wasn't ideal. Mm. You know, everything I was told was that he would he would have liked to have come back to Tottenham. Um, there were kind of informal talks held, but obviously... It's PSG. PSG, if they don't want to let you go, there's no need. And a little bit like the Harry Kane scenario, it was very obvious, wasn't it, that Poch never came out at any point and said, no, that's rubbish. There was never... I think PSG chucked a Q&A that they'd have done weeks ago on the season ahead. And I appreciate, from their point of view, quite right. They've got the money, don't let them go. And I suppose if you look at Poch now, he's got Mbappe and Messi and Neymar up front. And, uh, you know, as good... As good as uh, some of the Tottenham players are, I, I think he's probably at this moment made the right decision. Yeah, 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 there is. I mean, it would be he would be Spurs' perfect manager, I guess, if he doesn't manage to win something significant with that team. Because that's, you know, even... The, it's, it, I think he's perfect for us. And, 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 you know, part of being a Tottenham fan is that we're just glorious in failure, aren't we? So, the, I mean, <laughs> I, I hope, I really hope Pochettino gets over the line for him. I really do, but um, I think he yeah, one day time. hopefully. Don't you? Don't you think he needed that little so, bit of time away, though? I I think it would have been too soon. Hundred yes. percent. I'm not. I'm not unhappy with. I think, but by the time Pochettino was linked, it was like just. I mean, most of us were like just anyone at this point. <laughs> just let's have a manager so we can start to build. Tell me. And if it is Pochettino, then there's the, there's the link. Um, and but it, the irony of this is when we were talking on the podcast, we were talking, but that Nuno was. The choice for us way back when he was being linked, Pochettino was being linked with Manchester United, and we looked at what yeah. Nuno was doing at Wolves and playing good football his first season or so. I thought, yeah, it'd be, it'd, be, it'd be useful. How have you found him, you know, talking to him and interviewing him? How have you found him since he's joined? Do you know what? An absolute pleasure. I've got to be honest. Um, I expected the absolute worst as well. I know a fair few uh, reporters from the Wolves area, and they were saying, you're going to have a mayor, he won't answer many of your questions he could even get angry storm out of press conferences he sees it as this unnecessary distraction from his job um but to be fair i think and this is the impression i've got i think people behind the scenes at spurs like sat him down and said look with no disrespect to wolves this is another step up now and you're coming into a situation where let's be honest the bulk of spurs fans i know obviously like you said, I think I was probably the same. In his early days at Wolves, in his early seasons in the Premier League, certainly I think he stood out as a great candidate. After last season, maybe not so. Although, you know, you could say there's extenuating circumstances. And I think a lot of fans probably didn't have him in their top 10 lists for the job. 
So I think he had to come into the job and maybe a bit of a charm offensive, you know, and and, mm. and just be an open, honest guy. Um, and that's exactly what I've found. I think he, you can feel he's a good person, which you don't always get from managers. You can definitely feel, you know, exactly kind of where he wants to go with the club. <coughs> um, and yeah, he's been good to me so far, you know. Other than slapping me down the other day when I said whether he would uh, could take some pride from being top of the league after a month, which he was like, no, 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 no one look at that, no one look at that. Um, but other than that, he's been very good. He is. He seems a good guy. I think... Um, and what, yeah, sorry, go on. Go on. No, I was going to say, I think there's this feeling with him. He's like somewhere between Poch and Mourinho. Just the way right. he acts, the way he does stuff. There's, I think he's right in the middle somewhere. We've talked about that as well. Is that It just it kind of feels like the reset we needed after Jose Mourinho and Pochettino because... We come become a little bit institutionalized under Poch, and when things were going wrong, it kind of felt like it was all falling apart. And then, obviously, uh, Jose Mourinho was a mental situation. From from a fan's perspective, it's really difficult to find the positives when things weren't going right. Um, we did our best to be philosophical during the the, the Jose Mourinho era, but it became impossible towards the end. So just having anyone who was just talk about the club as a one, as a whole, and belonging to that, 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 you know, great part of just your single self was really important for us to hear. Um, Have you felt like the mood has has lifted since he come? Does it feel like a more positive place to work? Do you think? Oh, 100%, 100%, honestly. (laughs) That club was so fragmented. By the end. I mean, to be fair, it's not just uh, Mourinho's fault. That happened towards the end of the Poch era. You know, it was, um, he was starting to kind of, uh, you could you just feel it. I think, especially after the Champions League final, I think all those divisions started to grow. It got stale. And I think the last two years, you know, I, I, I still don't entirely believe Mourinho was probably the right man at the right time for what was needed. Yeah. Um, and that's for a, I got on very well with Mourinho. I, th- I thought he was he was very good with us in the media, but I just yeah. didn't really feel it was ever the right fit for what a broken Tottenham needed. Um, and I don't think the fractures kind of really ever healed. But yeah, this month, uh, well, since he came in, what we almost two months now. Yeah, there's a fear. Everyone inside the club's kind of all smiling and happy again. There's a feeling that they've been brought together. The big potch thing, as we all know, was like everyone from the tea lady to the bloke on the you know the front gate all felt they were part of one thing. Um, and just kind of feel that's what Espirito Santo's feeling is as well. That's his belief. And it, it kind of, yeah, it does. It does. The players seem happy. The staff I've spoken to all seem happy. And uh, yeah, it's good. It's good. Um, there's rumours come out today that Aurier's talking to Arsenal. Is that Have you heard anything about that? I haven't heard anything like, I haven't heard anything about that. That's not to say it's not the case. It's just obviously when when the player heads off and uh, you know you kind of he slightly becomes out of that loop and everything. But it would be utterly ridiculous. Um, it really would. I mean, we know he was he was an Arsenal fan. That, that was no secret. There was no thing there. And I'd, I don't think we'd have the same you know levels of Sol Campbellness on it all because. Let's be honest. If we're going to be brutally honest, Sergio wasn't as good a player as Sol Campbell was at the time, no. and certainly not the captain and all of that sort of stuff. Um, it would just be a very odd decision on his behalf, and, and you know, 
and ironically having to sign Tommy Asu as well. It's all so Spurs related, isn't it? It's so weird. Yeah, yeah. It's, that seemed to move quite quickly for them because it looked like he was going to sign for Spurs and then they've just sort of jumped jumped in at the last minute. I think that was Jaffet. Um, that was all to do with Jaffet. Jaffet and Ganga essentially having a starring start to the season, being a very similar in style right back to Tommy Asu. There was no need to kind of almost buy another version of that. Yeah, and Emerson's a, a different type of right back yeah. as well, isn't he? More a sort of forward thinking. And Tim Vickery was still, I saw on your video, Tim Vickery thought highly of him, right? Uh, <coughs> not so Is much. Is that incorrect? No. Oh, sorry, more, I misheard. That's all right. No, it was more the other way. He was quite down on it all, saying he's very, um, <clears throat> what did he say? It's not something about like, his career thus far hasn't really um, been any great shakes and stuff like that. And, but he did point towards that there was an improvement at Betis last season. It's a difficult one. I've spoken to a few Spanish journalists who have also been similar, saying he's very raw, Emerson. He's very much a player who, you know, he's only 22. He's got stuff about him. He's going to probably physically fit into the Premier League quite well, they think. It would just be the technical side, which... You wouldn't expect from either a Brazilian international or a Barcelona player, albeit for like a month or two. Um, but yeah, I think it's one of those we're going to have to kind of make our own minds up when we actually see him uh, in the Premier League. Fair enough. Um, how so? So, this, how difficult was it to report on the Kane situation during the summer, um, especially during that sort of five four day period or, or five day period of just sort of radio silence while everyone in the media seem to go crazy and, and, and as fans go crazy about what was potentially going to happen with Harry Kane. Was you, did, did you, did you have any inside track about what was potentially happening there and, and perhaps an answer to why it took Kane so long to, 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 to respond or the club for that matter? I can't answer for Harry Kane. I have no idea why it took five days to come out with that statement that he did. I've n- I just, I think I, well, you'd hope the biggest regret for Harry Kane over the, the, you know, what happened over the summer would just be the whole PR side of things. The whole, you know, the way his, I don't know what to say, his people or just those around him, I just don't think particularly dealt with it in the best way. In, in terms of those five days, we could only go on what we were getting from inside the club. And that was exactly that, that they were expecting him back on that Monday for his blood work and his um, tests for pre-season. He didn't arrive. Um, there was obviously talks about potentially fining him. And then, yeah, and then obviously Harry Kane comes out five days later, having let all of that build up, stating, oh, no, I was always meant to be back later. You know, and it's it's such a weird one. I think it's one of those where you probably won't find the exact truth of the matter until he probably comes out with a book when he's about 40 or something. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but... Yeah, certainly seems to be very differing views on it from both sides. I don't know if you remember, in the middle of that week, in the Wednesday press conference, Nuno was asked about it all, and he just said, oh, it's there's a it's a difficult situation or something that we're dealing with. There was no mention of, oh, yeah, no, it's all right, it's coming back at the weekend. It's like, it was never, yeah. that was never said by the manager or anyone. Um, it was clearly, it was just so confusing, um, yeah. Ali, because... You know, there was there was there was the talk that you know he, he'd already signed, that he'd already agreed personal terms in March. I heard, I read somewhere, it could be nonsense, but uh, that he'd agreed personal terms with City in March. That City were expecting it to be a pretty straightforward deal. Obviously, Daniel Levy is Daniel Levy, and in this instance, has played a blinder. I think, as no, you know, nobody, 
he, there's a lot of detractors of, of Daniel Levy in the in in um, the Spurs Twitter sphere, but I think in this instance he he, he served the he served the club correctly, he served the fans correctly, and the interests of the club correctly. Um, and yeah, like just as we said so many times, madness that they gave Harry Kane that he accepted a contract without any 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 release clause in any way. Um, yeah. I think City stitched him up. I do, I do. I mean, I, I, know I that's think probably they're free him but. It just never really followed through <coughs> on the interest that they kind of showed him. You know, it's the only bid that we're aware of that came into Tottenham at any point was seventy-five million with twenty-five million in add-ons. That's what's that by Harry Kane's left leg? You know, what, what is that about? And Pep Guardiola then coming out and saying they did everything to try and sign him. It's just, if he, I was Harry Kane, I'd be thinking, oh man, I've absolutely kind of stuffed myself with some Spurs fans over a move that City never really pushed for. Yeah, they killed him really. They killed him because yeah. if he would have um, uh, like to do everything, would mean that it would it would they'd have to. You'd think in the hundred and fifty, hundred and sixty million. But if you, it, do, you, do you know if it's true that that Daniel Levy just point blank refused to talk to Manchester City, or are those just rumours that he said well, he's the, not selling him? Well, the impression I got that they Spurs just had no intention of selling him. That that was it. They had no intention of selling. But I don't think we ever got to the point where City were kind of getting to an area where they could start to tempt him into talking. And that's the problem. If you're never even going to get near that, and, you know, probably, well, you're offering around half of what would even start that dialogue. It's just, yeah, it's it's such a mess. Yeah, yeah. And it's not like Spurs don't have a track record of selling their players, their their big players. You know, we sold Modric, we sold Carrick, we sold Sharon and Berbatov. These players do leave when uh, when, when enough club uh, with enough financial clout can come and turn our heads, and I don't think there'll be many Spurs fans out there that if a hundred and sixty million pound bid did come in would go. Well, Daniel Levy's mad for accepting that. I think most of us would have gone right then. Do you know what I mean? It, it's a bit difficult to turn that down, but it just yeah. it, it never come. They were just playing. They were being Machiavellian about this all the time, uh, Man City, and it just didn't play out because of how steadfast Daniel Levy seemed to be in keeping him. Which is funny, isn't it, with their financial position? It's funny, isn't it? You think like a PSG, let's say, just go out and get it done. Whereas Man City, with kind yeah. of, well, relatively, presumably, similar vast finances, they almost acted like Spurs would have, which is really yeah. weird. <coughs> yeah, you expect them just to pay the money. And one, they, they, yeah. they shot themselves in the foot by buying Grealish for 100 mil, because then that that, that is your barometer. That, that price is Harry Kane, that much more than that and Ben White you know the market is where Ben White is being bought for 50 mil yeah. and you're offering 20 million plus add-ons for Harry Kane it doesn't make sense none of it makes sense no. so there's a disrespect no. disrespect yes, um, and uh, and Dombley what, what's going on there what do you what, uh, what, what have you heard is this is this is there any way back for him well yeah there has to be because he's now at the club for the next four months at least so um Tongi just does this thing. I've spoken about it before. It's just the cycle of Tongi on Dembele. It's the same thing every time. It's work hard, play well, everyone starts to praise you, believe your own hype, want to play at a higher level, strop, ask for a move, don't get the move, start at square one again. And that's just the way he does it. And it's so sad because, you know, I'm probably right up there among the biggest Tongi on Dembele fans. He is same. what I watch football about. Oh, no, exactly yeah. for he does everything that I would I'd love to see in football but it doesn't matter how incredibly talented you are gifted at birth to have those talents if you just don't have the 
the kind of the work ethic and the attitude to constantly better yourself on the pitch. It's all very well saying you want to better yourself off of it and where you want to play, but if you're not actually going to do that on the pitch, it's like Real Madrid don't just take, you know, muppets with attitude issues. I'm not saying that's him, but I'm saying just in general, that's you don't become a world star by being kind of half-assed about it all. Yeah, um, I mean, you, you need to make yourself available at the very basic level. You need to train hard and make yourself available just just to earn your money. You know, yeah. you don't, you shouldn't earn money just by existing in a football club. Exactly. And, and as much as... Brilliant. I think Nuno will be perfect <sighs> for him, honestly. I hope so. I mean, it'd be such a waste if he, he spends the next <sighs> four months moping around. What a waste. And, and, and it feels like probably he won't reach his peak at Tottenham. It might be at another club where he matures a little bit and, and, and realises... I remember an interview with Kevin Prince-Boteng um, uh, recently and he said, if I could just chat to myself and talk to myself yeah. when I was at Tottenham and when I was at other, other clubs and just say, this is your chance, this is it. This football... You know, as, as Mourinho said about Dele Alli, he said, you'll blink and your career will be over. It kind of feels like that because he's got everything. He's got everything. But yeah. he just—I think he just needs to be supported, probably, and just Nuno has to get him onto the pitch somehow, and and, and fingers crossed, he'll do so. that. Is there any truth in the stuff about Sissoko and Oriya being his friends, and they were upset that he—he he was upset that 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 um, they were going to be moved out, and he was going to be left. That's my fault. That's my fault. I'd say the blame on that one. I wrote a story where oh, right. it's, it's not entirely my fault. I wrote a story <laughs> saying that. You know, he wasn't delighted about the fact that they were moving on, but that wasn't the cause. That wasn't the reason for him wanting to leave. And I think, unfortunately, some of the aggregator accounts out there then took part of what I'd written, and that became a lot of people's kind of thrust of their anger, which which I get in isolation. That sounds a bit like, oh, you know, <laughs> what a baby kind of thing. But it wasn't. You know, that that's not the thrust of it. The thrust of it is that just talking on Nimele has wants to play for the biggest clubs in the world. That's just what he does. He feels that that's his level. Um, but he's got to work a bloody sight harder to actually get to that level anyway. Do you know what you, you know, you, if we're making admissions, like I've, I've, um, you know, you said about, you know, you just wrote, wrote that and it's been misinterpreted by news aggregators. I've actually said on this podcast that, that that's part of the reason. And I've just said it because I've read something on the internet and then passed it off as fact. So, <laughs> It's got to be really careful because it does colour what people think about these yeah, players. It does, it does impact them. But that's the thing. I um, can write that in one paragraph within a... I think it was probably like a thousand-word article I wrote on it. But that's the trouble. If if it's just that little sentence or something is going to be extracted from it, it changes the whole tone and the context. And that's not to whinge. I, I can't kind of go down that line because journalists do it all the time with quotes from players you know exactly course, the same yeah. so absolutely i'm not saying it's not my fault but that was what i understood that was one of the things he wasn't particularly happy about these two guys that helped him settle in england and played a big part yes it's disappointing to see them go but that's not to say he's not good friends with everyone else you know he drives in ryan Sessegnon drives him in pretty much every day to training he's close to sonny i think kane as well you know we're not talking about a guy who's holding their hands walking around the training ground all day or anything. Yeah, it's um yeah, it's a, it's a funny one. I really hope it does get get back out there. Um, um just something you mentioned there about news aggregators and I'm not asking you to comment on this because this is your thing, right? It's your your field and how you work. But they are the worst thing, the worst thing on the planet. I just can't stand. I won't even name the big one, but 
it really devalued some of the what was really good about football journalism and back in back in the day and i remember like fan blogs there was some right high quality stuff and it just became all about traffic and 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 obviously news aggregators are just built on on pushing as much traffic down a single link as possible so that's yeah there you go there's my uh two pence on uh, <laughs> news aggregation um and well, how did you? What, what was you doing before before this? You was working in newspapers. You mentioned it was uh, yeah, uh, like edit, being an editor and uh, news editor and stuff like that. Uh, well, yeah, it's, it's not been the quickest route for me in the world, to be honest. I'm probably a bit, I get these young sports journalists or people that want to be sports journalists asking me like how to get into it, and it's a bit like you could do it my route, but it will take you a while. <laughs> I uh, yeah. I did yeah four or five years in news journalism. Then I went across and did um, started in sports reporting, but I was doing it uh, generally across sport. And in football terms, I was writing about non-league, League 2 stuff, Stevenage. Um, so I was doing that, and I kind of rose up on that side of things, doing um, eventually became like the group sports editor of these loads of local uh, uh, newspapers. And I did that for a fair old whack, you know, for about God, a good 12 years maybe. And then it just so happened that because I was the boss man as it were of those papers i wanted to make our digital side of things so much better because obviously that's kind of where the the, the now and the future lies yeah. um and spurs had built their training ground obviously it was up and running in hotspur way and i was like well that's technically in our patch so why don't we start you know providing a local kind of reporting on that sort of thing so we did that but I didn't quite expect how quickly that kind of took off. And then I wasn't even aware of the big bosses at the top of the company, which is Reach, which owns all like the Mirror, the Express, Star, all of that, um, as well as our local papers, were starting up this website called Football.London. So they saw what was happening with our Spurs coverage and said, well, do you just want to come across? I think they thought, because I was a group sports editor, which is a a decent position within a company. Mm. They probably thought mm. I wouldn't want to go across and just write about Spurs every day. You know, how wrong they were. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> leapt at it. And here we are, God, almost five years later. Uh, was it January 2017? So, yeah, four four and a half years later. Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. Like, it's just exploded as well. Like, I mean, obviously, we were around, we've had our Twitter account for about 10 years just a bit longer maybe mm. and um i remember kind of when your name started popping up and i was like what's, what's going on and then it was more and more uh and then obviously football.london kind of really exploded whatever you guys were doing over there it was working you know pumping out the articles decent mm. like journalism as well it wasn't just like some of the other sites were just going for clicks and stuff they had like substantially uh, interesting articles on there and um Cheers. yeah it just kind of felt like it must explode it must have exploded for you and but when you get a Twitter account that becomes significant, you st- you then have to deal with the people of Twitter, and obviously football <laughs> is football is really emotive, and especially when you're yes. talking about your own football club. How do you? How what's your experience on Twitter been like? Can you? Um, would you yeah, happy to talk about that? Yeah, of course. Yeah, no, I, I'm very fortunate. On the whole, people are quite positive and pleasant. I'd say it's a good. <laughs> probably 90 to 95%, which is unusual, I think, on Twitter. You know, I speak to a lot of the other journalists. You're and doing well, I'm, you're doing well. Yeah, I'm in quite a privileged position. There is the other side. I think I just kind of understand that people use Twitter for different needs. You know, there's you know the likes of you and me that probably use it to 
look at information, get information, probably just enjoy ourselves, maybe vent a bit about stuff and that's it. But then there's other people who maybe use it for slightly more dubious means who, you know, maybe just get out stuff that they perhaps wouldn't say out in public. They just want to say it on a form where they can, you know, I don't know, hide behind a profile picture of a footballer or whatever. Um, and I yeah. think as soon as you accept that there's something, there's an ulterior motive there. There's a lot of stuff, you know, people may genuinely just not like me. That's absolutely fine. I got no, or, or they don't like, so that's the other thing about football reporting, which you very quickly, and I've tell this to our young reporters when they start as well. You've got to understand that when you say stuff they want to hear, you're the goat or whatever you are. When you say stuff they yeah. don't want to hear, you're a fraud and they'll look up other things that you said that maybe didn't happen and stuff like that. And you're suddenly the worst enemy, public enemy mm. number one. And I think as long as you just realise just not to care about that, and it's just not the biggest... We've got some, you know, I'm not going to name names, but there's some reporters that get really upset about that sort of thing and they take it to heart. And I, I just not, you know, that's that's why the mute button exists. That's why if they're particularly unpleasant, then the block button exists and just crack. Yeah, there was a guy who t uh, messaged us and said, can you ask Al Alistair to unblock me? And I looked at his messages and I was just like, oh, fucking, there's, no, there's a reason why you're blocked. <laughs> um, to be fair, I don't it, block too many. I don't. If you're on the block list, you've probably been a little bit too unpleasant. It's mostly a mute there's probably people out there that are wondering why I never replied to them. It's probably just because they said something that was a little bit unpleasant and I didn't feel it was enough to go any further than a mute. I, uh, I, I've i created the most wonderful echo chamber where I, don't, I literally don't see any opinion that I don't 100% agree with anymore. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. The most thing about Twitter is you can't like being challenged all the time. And by being you know, how you feel being challenged by the things you're reading from other people as well. It's just like, I don't have time for this. It's too, um, it's too, too distressing and too depressing. So, um, yeah, typically... Debate. I don't mind debate. I don't mind people having a different... Like, I mean, the worst thing in the world for me to even bother looking at is when I put out player ratings. I barely even bother because they're so subjective player ratings. You know, there's every <laughs> single person sees a player in a different view. That's you know, it's like let's say Davinson Sanchez right now, for example. He's having a blinder to the start of the season. He yeah, is. And I think a lot of people would great. probably admit that. But there are some people people who just do not like Davinson Sanchez. They will hold all of the previous mistakes against him. A bit the same with Eric Dyer right now as well. And it will just be like, oh no, he's still rubbish. And you're never gonna get away from that way of thinking. So I just yeah, I just kind of you have to take that into account, I guess. We we were talking about this yesterday on the pod that that we we can't believe what we've seen with Dyer and Sanchez. I, I can't. Like last season, I'd be happily have seen them both shipped out and got a yeah. new centre back pair, pairing. They have been fantastic, and I'm I'm sure that's a large part to how Nuno's protecting them and 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 enable them to just do the bits they do well. And Romero and, coming in, and there's additional pressure there to yeah. perform. And they may be just much happier than they were under Jose Mourinho, but whatever it is, it's working. And right now, they neither of them should be dropped for Romero when he does come back from um, from being on international duty. It's not, it wouldn't be fair on either of them to be dropped, I don't think. Um, on that, do you, how do you feel that situation is going to develop? Because we're in a weird situation where Romero and Lacelso have gone to a country that's on the red list. By, by the law or the rules, they would have to come back and isolate for 10 days in a hotel on their own, um, which would rule them out probably for another at least another two weeks. Um, what Do you think they'll get to a situation where there'll be some sort of agreement between 
the the government and football clubs that they won't have to isolate? How do you see that panning out, or what have you heard? Well, I think the the, the agreement has to come really with FIFA and the and the governments. It's just such a farce. It really is. You know how you can even hold these games. I mean. Even right now, it's still farcical because Spurs and a lot of the other Premier League clubs believe they've got this agreement with the players where they don't have to play in the third game of this little series of matches, which for, you know, let's say the Celso Romero, they've got a game, I think, this weekend. And then the third game, something like late on the Friday night um, or early hours of the Friday, I can't remember which it is, which, you know, you're talking about a big six-day swing there difference. However... Scaloni, the Argentina coach, is saying, no, no, everyone's here for all three matches. And if you look on Spurs' website, Spurs' website for their like players involved in international break, they haven't even listed the games next weekend because they don't just don't even see that their players are taking part. Um, it's just a mess. And it sounds like, only going from the reports out of Argentina and Nuno saying that we're working on a plan, I think they're going to try to somehow get them training somewhere else it may be somewhere like croatia there's been talk of like a croatian island having this little mini training camp oh, which God. gets them there for 10 days because then they can actually properly train because the problem is they come back here going to a government hotel sitting in a room watching telly you know they're not fitness training you know they <clears> might <throat> get out for one run around i don't know a corridor or something or whatever they're allowed to do but yeah that's the only way, I think, to get them still fine-tuned to the level of fitness to then just return and, well, be available for the Chelsea game, I guess. Well, yeah, match fitness. But in terms of tactical and match... I mean, I suppose you could do it through a live link or something, but it's mm. not ideal. It's a mad one, really. And it's just... Um, I mean, I wouldn't have... I, I, I would have thought it would be a good idea by the club just to say you're not going but what you don't want to damage relationships with a player especially one that's just arrived yeah I so, think there's a I lot of know. pressure from their FAs I get the impression that the you know there's some of those players that didn't want to go and their FAs are properly putting the pressure on oh uh, the countries have so the Argentinian yeah right and what suggesting what can you expand on that anymore like what they, they, <sighs> they, they just won't be able to play expect. in future matches well, exactly. Just what do you expect, and what it might mean for the future if you're not turning up for your country, things like that. You know, World Cup coming. Yeah, exactly. Are you likely to get picked again? You know that this is the trouble, isn't it? Jack Kirby Lowe, he asks, uh, "What's the juiciest Spurs secret you can tell us while retaining your inside state of privilege?" <laughs> juiciest secret. Do, do you when you talk about your sources? These aren't people feeding you stuff that the club aren't happy with. Surely, there's a dialogue with the club directly or is it not uh it's a bit of everything it's a bit of everything mm. like i say I, I speak to player agents speak to people inside the club speak to people that deal with the club it's yeah it's not ever kind of one avenue because that way you step into that huge area of only yeah only really reporting news in a certain manner you know like you know, you don't want to just report positive news. You know, we're not here to be PR machines. You know, we're we're here yeah. essentially to to report. And I think, I'd hope, I'd hope that if I've got any kind of reputation, it's trying to be somewhere in the middle. It's trying to be objective and seeing the crap stuff about Spurs as well as the good stuff, and not going too overboard in either direction. So, and I think a lot of that comes from where the information comes from. You know, it's. Um, I'd find it very difficult, I think, to, let's say, work in like Spurs press office or something. That must be a nightmare at times with some of the decisions made over recent years. I do not envy them. 
No, no, not at all. I think you've done a good job, though, of coming across as balanced because during, you know, like the <clears throat> ITK and news, sort of news Twitter, Spurs news Twitter, where they get aggregate different news sources and they, they often, you know, quote you directly and you seem as quite a, a, a decent sort of source in, in terms so of information. Weird. And everyone right. on my website, on our website, takes the piss out of me because they see these headlines come up on news now and it's like, you, Alistair Gold makes shocking claim, and it's like, what? <laughs> really? Me? Who cares? It's shocking so claim. But it's so important to people. Like, I mean, I would say the same. But I, I, I read just stuff because it's interesting. But there are there is a huge interest in in information about transfers specifically, and you know that. But I can imagine yeah. a large a large percentage of your trade is done in those those transfer windows because people are rabid for for news and information, especially from sources that you deem that aren't too, um, you know, over the top or too too loose. Or, or, do you know what I mean? Like, just not, yeah. like you said, not not backing up their, their stories with more than one source or something. Yeah, 100%. It's going to be really interesting to see how it all works now with um, Fabio Paratici because he's very much got a close relationship with a lot of the Italian journalists. So obviously we're going to have to work on that as English journalists over the years and, and, and hopefully, you know, trying to desperately get an interview with him just to start that off. But, you know, at, at this point, we... How do I put this? I don't want to be kind of too disrespectful because a lot of Italian journalists are excellent. But I think maybe mm. there was a feeling before that Italian media would sometimes just report a lot of stuff. Um, maybe not having an incredible like most, hit rate. Like a lot of newspapers um, and stuff do now. Yeah, you, 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 you would sometimes get uh, players linked to Spurs from it. every single corner of Italy. Um, whereas now, there's maybe a slight more... I'm not going to say there's more credible, but certainly, I think with Paratici... I'm going to tell you, I have a nightmare pronouncing his name. Isn't it Paratici? I've been told... Parat- I, I, I did it as Paratici for the, like, the opening month, and literally yeah. someone within Spurs... Uh, I had people telling me you're saying it wrong, and then someone in Spurs the other day came up to me and said... Oh, by the way, he told us how to pronounce his name the other day. It's Paratici. Paratici. Like, oh, okay. my brain is never going to handle that transition <laughs> whatsoever. And I'm still mucking it up almost every time. But yeah, Paratici is... Over in Italy, it's very different. Their sporting directors like hold media conferences sometimes before games. They talk to their Italian version of Sky Sports and stuff like that. Whereas over wow. here... We don't kind of have that sort of public, you know, essentially, especially with Spurs, you know, it was Daniel Levy's statement once a you know, season or whatever, and that's it, isn't it? Um, yeah. So it'd be really interesting to see whether he becomes a more media face now. Have you managed to speak to Daniel Levy directly ever? Or? The only time I've ever spoken to Daniel Levy was saying hello and shaking his hand before a press conference when they were unveiling some of the plans for the new stadium. That's that is it. Oh, and I walked behind, walked in the door behind him once, going into Crystal Palace away. Um, mm. I was desperately just trying to earwig what he was talking about. He's just <laughs> no. I think what happened with Daniel Levy? Apparently, he did a sit down interview about a decade ago with a load of journalists um, before, obviously, I came on the scene and got burned by it a little bit. They they took some of the staff and it didn't do him any favours. And I think ever since that point, he's been very, very reluctant to do anything media related, which which is a shame because I think it makes, you know, 
like I said, I don't know him. I only know from what other people tell me about him. And he kind of ends up coming across as like this Bond villain sitting at the top yeah. of Tottenham Hotspur. And I think it does him no favours. I think like the All or Nothing series, some people might say it was just a puff piece anyway. They might say whatever they were like. But what I would say, one thing that came out of it is you got to hear a bit more from Daniel Levy. And I think that probably did him some favours. Yeah, I reckon it did. I, I think he it was it was just odd. It was just odd to hear him move and talk and watch him <laughs> drink tea and stuff. You're right. It's you create an idea of what he is. Yeah. Um. And because he doesn't he doesn't utilize the media in a way that would benefit his image, ever. You're just left to your own devices, and perhaps he's comfortable with that. You know, yeah, he's he never going to sell. Apparently, he doesn't care. That's what everyone tells me that he just doesn't care. He, his view is. I want to do what's best for the long-term future of Tottenham Hotspur, and that's it. You know, people yeah. might say, you know, sometimes some of the decisions seem to be at odds with that, but he just doesn't care what flack he gets. Although I know he was a little bit worried about um, potential protests in the City game. I think the fact that that all went completely in the opposite direction, and obviously it was a win and everything, I think he was a, there was a little bit of concern about what might have been chanted if that was a heavy defeat. Yeah, I mean, and we all were anticipating it. And it was kind yeah. of going into that game, I actually started, like, the closer it got to Harry Kane not leaving, I was like, this is the way football works. We're going to beat City because <laughs> this is just, you know, footballing gods work this way. Anyway, Dude. we did and it was fantastic. And we, there, there weren't any protests. Actually, the atmosphere in that game was electric. It was Super. it was fantastic. Do you think he would, would have been impacted by the protests at all that... That happened. I say protests. They were quite. They weren't the most significant, but there, there was there was there were a number of people, you know, yeah, giving their uh, opinion. Was he yeah, in, was in, in any way affected by that? There was, a, you know, there were a few hundred out there, weren't they? On one of the days I saw. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think it it worried them slightly. I think the the the, the difficult thing with football nowadays is a lot of the judgment, especially during the the lockdown era. You know, when you didn't have fans at grounds. You had to take a lot of opinion from Twitter and social media, which, let's be honest, isn't always the majority view. It can often be the noisy minority and stuff. Yeah. Um, so I think maybe seeing those protests just woke them up slightly in terms of, OK, it's not just people having a whinge on Twitter. There's a little bit more to this. Um, mm. I probably wouldn't go to say, you know, it shook them to their very core. But what I would say is it just made them aware of, look, you know, People aren't happy. You know, you're going into this season, there's not a very, you know, let's be honest, this summer, especially I think when we saw some of the managerial candidates that fell out of the frame, I think we were all probably thinking, oh my God, what's this season going to hold and Harry Kane's going to go and all of this. Yeah. It was, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they were starting to think this is not going to go well for us. What Do you know the reason why Gattuso didn't join in the end? Was it anything to do with the media, the social media campaign or... Uh, well, I, did they just? I mean, so like I say, I, I know that they they knew that. I mean, if if something's trending, what did it trend on number two at Twitter across the UK or something? Gattuso out, yep. um, or no to Gattuso, that wasn't it? Yeah, that's correct. Um, yeah. yeah, of course that would have played some part. If you ask anyone, they all claim, "Oh no, it just didn't happen." But you know, I think Gattuso's come out since and said something about, <laughs> "Yeah, he essentially was stitched up by the media yeah. and, and the fans and all that." So yeah, of course, you know that that's he seems like the kind of guy who's just going to say whatever he wants to say without the filter, as we clearly have seen from previous comments. So I'd probably yeah, I'd go to that. I think I think uh, people power did did win out on that one. I think. 
THFC Alex, he says, uh, Alistair, do you intentionally take days off in the sun in in the sense that something big (laughs) may happen? Or does it always just work that way? You you know, this you took a, a week off at some point, didn't you, in the summer? And it was, I don't know what, what 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 the story was, but you, you had to go back to work, right? Uh, this is a running theme. Honestly, it's a running theme through my time covering Tottenham. I, there's just this weird thing about how they use... To be fair, I did, I did take six days off about two, three weeks ago, nothing happening, which shook Tottenham fans, I think, to their core that followed me. <laughs> um, but on the whole, I mean, I had... Saturday off, Bale and Regulon were both announced. I remember having to do a video from Sainsbury's car park talking about it for Football <laughs> Under. I've had, oh my goodness, most of the managerial stuff this summer, kind of the big moments happened when I was off. Um, it's just what they do, Tottenham. Someone I noticed, one of the, one of the questions I saw uh, coming in, someone asked whether Spurs have access to my Google calendar and just kind of <laughs> deliberately wind me up. <laughs> um, oh my goodness! There was one video I remember doing a video late at night. I think it was after the Conte stuff broke. Uh, sorry, it fell apart. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you'll ever have seen me more fed up talking than I was in that video. And a lot of people are, like, oh my god, Tottenham broke Alistair Gold and all this sort of stuff. It wasn't so much to do with the fact that it wasn't Conte coming because I must admit, if anyone heard my stuff or read my stuff, I probably wasn't the biggest fan of that idea anyway because I thought. To be honest, I thought he probably would have broken Tottenham. He might have had a great season, but I think he might have broken them for years to come. Um, but I was just more shattered and fed up that at 11 o'clock or something on my night, on my day off, I was having to talk about it because they mucked around with another manager. And yeah, yeah. yeah it seems to well, be this is it. You've gone, you, you've, you've, the success that you've had and the, and the work you've put in has led to a situation where people are waiting to hear your opinion on it and, and update it. And it's a, it is a responsibility that you now have, and uh, I'm, I'm sure the uh, you know the, the owners of London Football dot London should be um, you know giving you a pay rise if you haven't had one already because you do graft you, you graft harder than almost any any anyone else. Maybe only Romar, Fabrizio Romano who just seems He's to never machine. sleep. It's unbelievable. It's tweets at like, I'll see you the next time. It's tweets at like 2am and 3am. And they're not scheduled tweets. I don't think they're scheduled (laughs) tweets either. I don't think he's on his own. I think he's he's got a team now. He must must have. He's got to sleep. I mean, it's madness. It's madness. Um, When we was on the podcast, we were talking about having you on. And it was was during the time when when you was on holiday. And uh, me and the other lads were doing a skit or doing a bit. Where you're you're sitting at a, your, your table over a, you know some dinner uh, in Spain or wherever you might have gone, and <laughs> your phone starts pinging and your wife's looking at you going, "Don't, don't, <laughs> do not touch your phone," and you're like, "I've got to, I've got to," and then and then obviously oh, you, man. you do that's it. incredibly that, accurate, that must, Incre- must incredibly happen. accurate. Other than the fact that I always have my phone on uh, vibrate because. Oh, right, right. So it's just a- <laughs> purely because it's mainly the bloody Twitter. The notifications are so ridiculous. It's just, it would be constantly making stupid noises. Um, but yes, there have been nights, um, even just at home where we sat around the dinner table when she can see me starting to look towards the phone. So it's got to be shoved <laughs> out on my kind of viewing line of sight. And uh, yeah. it's part of the job, you know. I, I, I used to work incredibly hard in, in newspa- newspapers and getting stuff ready for deadlines and publishing and all that is... It's you know that was a that was a job where you had to put in the hours. So I I think it kind of prepared me nicely for what 
essentially for Tottenham Hotspur. They really are a, yeah. a club that do that to you. Indeed, indeed. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go. Uh, so I just want to say thank you so much for your your time. Um, been really generous with it. Uh, you, I mean, I, I don't feel like we need to plug you because obviously <laughs> you're probably a big, much bigger audience than any of us. But I would say go and listen to uh, the Golden Guest Talk Tottenham podcast. Um, you already follow Alistair on Twitter, um, but he's got the YouTube channel as well. Check that out. I don't know how you actually. I was watching. I couldn't do that. I couldn't sit and talk at a camera for an hour. That's an incredibly difficult thing to do, to do it coherently. Um, but you do. You just sit there and talk about Spurs for that long. You don't edit it, do you? It just goes up no, as like. No, no, no. That is my raw stream of consciousness just coming out. Fantastic. Okay, well, thank you so much, Alistair, for your time. It's the fight in. It's the fight in. It's the fighting. It's the fighting. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Sports Social Podcast Network.